Hi, and thank you for tuning in to McDowell Mountain Community Church's podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can be notified when we upload our latest message. We hope the message you hear today is encouraging to you as you navigate your week. Be blessed. Squad goals. We're in our new series and last week, you had an opportunity to pick up a journal. You can, if you didn't get one last week, you can pick one up today. Page 10 and 11. We're on page 10 and 11. So we're so early on. If you missed last week, you are not that far behind. So um, if you have your journal with you, and I love seeing when you actually bring your journal with you. If you have it with you, grab it and open it up to page 10 and 11. And that's where we're going to hang out a little bit. Um, In the very beginning, when God created the world, it's interesting that he walks through these moments where he says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And he created um, Adam, and he looked down, and there was something missing. And he said, this is not good. And many of you would agree and say, amen, that it's not good for a man to be alone. See what I mean? I knew somebody would be with me there. And, um, but, but the point, what I think the Scripture is talking about is the reality and the truth that we're all coming to realize that when we are isolated and disconnected from other people, life is not good. We need one another. Like, we need to share life with one another in deep and meaningful ways And uh, what's interesting to me is when Jesus launches what we now understand as the church, and this is on page 10, we have this passage of scripture, there's a number of things that er that early community was starting to do. But one thing that I like highlight and I look at, and there's a number of reasons that I do this, and it says this on page 10 of your journal, they met in homes and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. There was something in that early community of followers of Jesus, when they got together and ate a good meal, they they experienced joy and generosity with one another. Doesn't that sound good? A good meal? That sounds good. Great joy and generosity. And what's so interesting about this little passage of Scripture, Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the, the second half of that chapter, uh, I hope you'll go read it a little bit this, this week. A num- they did a number of things. They studied uh, the teachings together. They challenged one another to grow. They prayed for one another. They shared. When someone had some needs, they would share so that that person's need were, were, was, was met. They met in homes, and they shared meals, and this is what sparked the revolution of Jesus in the world, these different components coming together, and I love this because many times we think of the church as being like what we're doing right here, like a person is up front talking and opening scripture, and we have worship, which is great, but the church is also what happens anytime we get together and we share maybe good food with some joy and generosity and we invest in relationships with one another because 
I mean, it's just a fundamental need that you have and I have. And listen, I lean um, on the introvert scale. I, learn, I lean towards the I side. I lean, which surprises people. People are like, there's no way that um, you get up and talk in front of people and you're an introvert. And I do. I, I just need time to recharge uh, away from people at times. And I just lean towards introverts. Sometimes it makes me super... How many of you, I'm just going to ask, how many of you are like me, you go to a party with a lot of people that you don't know, and you, you stand over to the side, and, and you, have some you have some anxiety, and you start sweating, and you look, and if you see one person you know, you're like, sweet, and you go to that person, and you turn your back to the rest of the room, and you just are locked into that one person. And internally, you're like, please do not leave me in this moment. If so, we are not friends. I hate you for the rest of your life. Anybody, does anybody feel like that? Yes. Um, that, it's that, that feeling, on the, and, and if you're introverted, you get it. You, you sense that. You feel that. But the reality is, even those who are so far on that spectrum of introverted, you need people. Like, you need time to recharge, but you need people in your life. You, you just, you miss out on joy and life, and I miss out on so much joy when I isolate myself from other people. The, one of the challenges in our world today is the idea of good, deep friendships. And, um, you know, I, I said this last week, I'm going to lean into this, uh, I'm going to continue to lead, lean into it, is the idea that um, we need to be the kind of friend we wish we had. Like, so many of us are longing for some deep relationships, and the more that we just focus on what we want or what we need or what we don't have, the more of a, a challenge it becomes to, to build those relationships. And so, if you want good friends, which you need good friends, if you want good friends, you need to be the friend that you wish you had. Like, all of us should probably lean into this idea of, of getting the focus off what we wish we had, what we don't have. So I want to tackle the idea today of one away, that you are one away. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a lot of different ways, but I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're one away from the best person in the world. <laughs> Something like that. You're one away. We're all one away. Now, I asked you this question. I asked you, like, who was one of your best friends in middle school or high school? And I have one. I'm going to show you an old, old picture. Um, I went back and, and tried to find an old picture. This is an old picture of me in high school. And um, I don't know which one I am, but I'm one up there. You can try to figure it out. Uh, I had cut off my mullet at this point, thank goodness. And um, so this was... Uh, Probably, I think my senior year, this is all of our senior football players that year, and um, in this day, if you're a football fan, back in this day, you tried to find the biggest shoulder pads you could possibly find <laughs> and get under the jersey, and that's why the shoulder pads are so big. But um, I'm, I'm number 10 right there, and I look really confused, which I often did, and uh, on my right is John, and on John's right is Galen. Galen Rollator was his name. I never met anybody named Galen, but that was Galen. Galen was my best friend in middle school and high school. And 
Uh, I, I've mentioned this to you when my parents uh, went through a divorce, when they told me my brother they were getting a divorce. Um, Galen was the friend who I said, I need, to, I need to be with him. And I went and spent the night with Galen for a number of nights. Um, he was one of my, my best friends in the world through that season. And um, what's interesting is in high school, I don't know if you knew this, but in high school, you're always one decision away from, like, great ruin <laughs> or a good decision. <laughs> and um, we all, in high school and in college, face choices that we, we make, and the people that are our closest friends, the, the people we surround ourselves with, will often influence the direction we go in high school and college. Come on, right? Um, Galen, along with a few other friends, we sat down early in high school, and I'm so thankful for some adults who encouraged us to do this, but allowed us to make this choice on our own. Um, we sat down with a few friends, and we said, hey, we want to have a blast in our high school experience, but we think the best way to do this is without drinking and without drugs. We think that's going to be the best way forward. And we got a group of, um, I don't know, maybe five or six of us who committed to that same path. And we said, look, here's the deal. We should go to all the fun parties. We should do all the stuff with our classmates. But we should not do that. And we should help one another not do that because that can lead to some really dangerous places. Um, alcoholism was a part of my, fam my, my family's story. And so it was something that I felt like I wanted to stay away from, and I saw so many friends in high school who went a certain direction with that. And I know in today's world, we assume certain things of kids, but we shouldn't do that. We should actually encourage something very different than what we just assume to be the case for everyone. And so Galen was the friend, one of the friends, who held me strong in those moments where I was one step away from making a horrible decision in my life. He was my friend who cared about me and who I knew would be there to help me make better decisions. I want you to think about that idea of one away. And um, like I said, alcoholism has been something that has been a part of my family's story. And um, for an alcoholic, they would say to you, they're only one drink away from going down a very bad path. But they're also one meeting away from moving towards healing and wholeness. Think about that. Just one away. For an alcoholic, it isn't about like five drinks. It's about one. Alcoholics in recovery know that. It's about one. Because one can start a pathway. But the same is true for the meeting. I'm one meeting away from being the best version of myself. Does that make sense? Are you with me? One away, like we're, we're, we're one away. Um, and and the, the people who are around us can be the most helpful in that, that whole conversation. Uh, in Proverbs, I love the Proverbs. They're just like just short statements that are so true. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. It's just true. Like when you're with people who are in alignment with truth, you find good advice and good directions. The wicked lead people astray all the time. 
And what's interesting, and we've told our, our kids this from time to time, that um, for people who are making decisions that they know they shouldn't make, it may be subconscious, but they always want to take someone with them. Because they know, I'm going down a path I shouldn't go down, so I'm going to take somebody with me so I'm not alone on this path. So be very careful when someone's tempting you along a path that you know is probably not the healthiest path for you. And surround yourself with people who actually give good advice. In, in um, one of Paul's writings to the, to the church, he said this, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company is what corrupts good character. Um, Craig Rochelle said it this way, and I highlighted this, I wrote this down. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. Okay, what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to tell us three stories from Scripture, three very different stories um, and interesting stories that highlight ways that friends or family members can step into the gap and help us um, because we're all just one away. So I'm going to tell you three quick stories. Are you ready? Some of you are ready. And I want you to think about the importance of, of the relational connection with these as it relates to our squads, squad goals, our, our friendships, our groups, the people we surround ourselves with. The first is Moses. Moses, um, many of you have heard of Moses. You've heard of Moses. Some of you have heard of Moses. Moses is a key figure in the Old Testament. And Moses, um, you know, led the children of Israel. I mean, so many great stories of Moses. And there's this story where Moses, who's done so many great things, um, is, is with the Israelites, and they're going into a battle. And it's interesting, this battle, um, in this battle, and I don't know how this worked, but it was a miraculous kind of story, and some of you might struggle with, and get, you might stop on some of the miraculous pieces, but I'm going to encourage you, like, step past that for a second, whatever you believe about the miraculous side, just step past that for a second. So as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage over their enemies, and so imagine Moses, as long as he held up a staff above his head, then they had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Crazy, right? They had climbed up on top of this hill. They were looking down at the battle. And as long as Moses held this staff above his head, everything was good. As soon as he dropped that, it was bad. I have this picture in my mind. Um, have any of you read Unbroken, Louis Zamperini, or seen the movie Unbroken? And um, he's, he has to, um, in, in one part of the movie, he has to hold that log ab above his head. You remember for, forever? That's what I envisioned Moses, like holding this like, log above his head. And, and eventually, he just can't hold it anymore. And so his arms start to fall. And he becomes so tired that he can't hold his arms up anymore. And here's where I want you to go with this. Have you ever found yourself in life so burned out, so done, that you just felt like you couldn't go on any longer? I mean, Moses holding this, whatever it looked like, holding it, and it just couldn't do it any longer. But he knew that if he dropped his arms, it meant death. 
for the battle. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I just can't go on. Are there any parents in the room? <laughs> but I know I've got to hold this up. Now look what happens. This is so great. Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood on each side of Moses. And they held up his hands. And so his hands were able to hold steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army. I mean, how, how cool is that story? Like Moses, on his own, can only stand for so long. But he had a squad, Aaron and Hur, who joined him on top of the mountain, and they said, Moses, you're an old man. <laughs> Sit down. Let us hold your arms for you. And I, and I, and I picture in my mind someone who just can't go on any longer, who feels like they're all alone, with two friends who notice, who recognize what's happening, and who step in to bear the weight when he feels as though he can't carry anymore. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what you need. And that's what I need when it just feels like we can't go on. There's another story. A uh, story of Esther, a, a woman named es- Esther. Some of you have heard this story. Interesting book in the Bible. If you've never read it, you should read it. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's the only book in the Bible that never mentions God, but the reality is he's all over the book of Esther. Uh, but it never just specifically mentions um, God. And uh, Mordecai, who was a, kind of connected to Esther, Esther becomes queen because of her beauty, And she becomes the queen, and she realizes there's this plot to wipe out all the Jews. And she has this, like, ongoing tension of, like, I know the right thing here, but I don't want to do it. Have you ever known the right thing, but you didn't want to do it? Are you breathing this morning? (laughs) And so Esther, like, kind of knows, like, she needs to stand up, but she knows that if she stands up to the king, King Xerxes, he can actually kill her for just talking out of turn. So she doesn't know what to do. Mordecai writes to her and says this. Uh, He sent this reply. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief will arrive from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. That's encouraging. Uh, And then he says this, and it's a line that many of you have heard before. Uh, It's quoted often, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for exactly such a time as this. And what you find is Mordecai speaking faith into Esther, and Esther from this moment somehow has the courage then to confront Xerxes about what's going on. And it changes the entire story in the book of Esther. It's an amazing story. You should read it. And we all need people like Mordecai, friends who will speak faith into us when we don't think we can do the right thing. You need that. And I need that. I need my friend Galen at a party when there's no parents at the home and there's a lot of things going on and it would be so easy just to do it for him to say, hey, remember, This could lead to a bad place. Let's not do that. I need my friend Galen for that. And you do too. Like we all need people who can speak faith into us. Okay, so Esther, Moses, David. 
King David. Have you ever heard of King David? Anybody heard of King David? Um, pretty big figure in the Old Testament. And David, um, interesting, interesting story. And I never really thought about it this way. You've, you've probably heard this story. Most of you, I'm, I'm sure, have heard this story. Um, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent uh, Joab and the Israelite army to fight. They destroyed this army. They laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, I've read this time and time again. I never really thought about it in the context of friendship and accountability. But look at what David did. In the time when kings would send off to war and usually go into war as the king with all of his buddies, David sent off everyone who was close to him, and what did he do? He stayed home. And it was when he stayed home all alone that he made a decision to take a married woman, Bathsheba, as his own, even though she was married to one of his friends. Because he was all alone. He didn't have anybody around him to challenge the decisions he was making. Kind of crazy. Stayed behind in Jerusalem, made this decision on his own to take a woman, takes that woman, and it leads to eventually his downfall in the kingdom. His whole family falls apart. I mean, it's crazy what happens. God eventually restores him, but one of the ways that he does that is God then sends uh, Nathan the prophet to David, and Nathan tells David a story that David gets really mad about, and Nathan says, that's you. Like this person that you're really mad about that you think should be killed, that's you because that's what you did. David was one voice away in the beginning, one voice away from making a better decision, and he was one voice away when he needed to come to repentance. He needed someone to tell him the truth. And you need a voice in your life, and I need a voice in my life to speak truth to me when it feels as though I can do whatever I want to do. It's not hurting anybody. Nobody will, maybe nobody will even know. Like, I need someone to speak truth into me. And listen, here, here's what I know about this area that we live in and call home, is that so many of us in this room, so many of you are incredibly successful. And here's what happens with success, is that the temptation for us when we're successful for David when he was successful, is to believe and live as if our success is a direct result of our own personal effort and wisdom, and to lose sight of the importance of accountability with a small group of people around us. Listen, the, the higher you rise in an organization, the less truth you hear. That's, that's like a, a leadership principle um, that comes from different places in the leadership world, but it's a biblical principle. Like the higher that you write, like the more you need truth tellers in your life. 
good, close friends who can tell you the truth. It's just the tendency for us. And that, especially in an area like this, where there's just so much success, that coupled with the idea of independence, and we're raised towards independence, to be an independent human being who can do it. You can do it on your own. Independence and our desire for independence drives us away from the humility and compassion we need to be good friends and to have good friends. In other words, success and independence are working against us. Success and independence are working against us when it comes to close friendships. And some of you could share a testimony about that. The more success I got, the more isolated I become, became, the less friends I knew. When um, that picture of me in high school, um, so I was I, uh, the quarterback, and one of the things that my coach knew is that quarterbacks, um, I mean, not me, but quarterbacks had the uh, tendency to think a little highly of themselves. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. And so my coach, Coach Gilliland, um, had the wisdom to make me clean the toilets in our field house. And I was like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. I don't need that. And he's like, if you don't do one of the lowliest jobs, you'll actually think more highly of yourself, which will isolate you from your teammates and make you think you don't need your teammates to be successful at the position you play. So why don't you clean the toilets after they use the restroom in the field house. I don't know if you've ever been in a field house for football players. <laughs> it smells awesome. And most football players take care of toilets and bathrooms and all those kind of things. It was wisdom because the more successful we become, the more isolated, I mean the tendency, not everybody, but the more isolated, less humility, all of those things start to work against us. So I want to give you some squad goals real quick. And I want you to think about people in your life, specifically, who maybe fill these roles for you. And if, as we walk through these, if you feel like you're missing something, like many of us are, you know, one of the challenges is to take a risk and either form a group, create a group, invite some others into a circle that you would spend time with, because it takes time to build these kind of relationships, or you might step into a group that you see here at McDowell starting to form. And one of the reasons we put this in your hand is there's this little um, piece on the bottom, and um, on the back there's this white box, and it's prayer requests, those kind of things um, can go there. But also, if today you're like, I, I need a group, and I, I'd I'd love to have a group of guys, um, and we could meet, here's where I could meet. I mean, if you're looking for some friends in a group like this, use this to let us know what you're looking for. And what's beautiful about a community like this is we can start to put thing, pieces together. Like when people don't know where to start, maybe we can help you. So use that um, for that. But here's some goals. We need, all of us need friends who will hold you up, right? You need a friend who will hold you up. I need a friend who will hold my arms when it feels like I can't go anymore. And um, if, you, if you have a friend like that, write their name down. 
I just think that's powerful to acknowledge. Like, this is that friend who can hold me up. Um, all of us need friends, uh, not only who will hold us up, but will help us grow. Like, I need a friend who's actually nudging me towards growth in my life and not allowing me to stay stagnant. Like, we all need that. We all need a friend who can encourage our faith like Mordecai. I need a friend, and you need a friend, who is like breathing life into your faith and saying to you, listen, I know middle school for your kids is really difficult. Like, don't give up. Your kids may push back. You know, the, your student may be pushing back as hard, like, but listen, you need to get them into a group and into an environment like at a church where, where they can grow. So don't give up. Like, I loved, uh, during Student Sunday, some of you weren't here for Student Sunday, but one of our students, um, she said, um, uh, which one was it? I can't remember which one said this, but she said, my parents, um, they're not gonna like that I told you this, but they told me that uh, if I wanted to have my car during the week, that I had to go to youth on Sunday. And it's the only reason I came to youth on Sunday, is so that I could have my car during the week. But I'm so glad they did that. You need some friends who will say to you, you're not alone. I know your kids are telling you you're the only parent. If I had a dollar for every time my kids said, you are the only parent who has a curfew for their kid in 10th grade. You're the only parent. Nobody else has a curfew. All my kids, all my friends can stay out. We need friends who will speak faith into us and say, don't give up. Like, hold on to the faith and make the right decision, as hard as that is, as difficult as, we, we all need that. So encourage our faith. Um, we need friends, I almost left this one out, because I don't like this one. We need friends who will tell the truth, tell us the truth. I need a friend who will say to me, Matt, I'm seeing this in you, and I don't think that's the path you wanna take, or I don't think that's the person you wanna be. We need friends who are willing to tell us the truth, and we need to have the humility to receive it and walk with that. And then the last one, we need friends who will bring joy to the party. Now listen, there will be people who bring a lot of stuff to the party. We need friends who will bring joy to the party, who will show that we can, we can have joy and still make good choices and honor God. We need that. So for you, who, who are these people who do this? And if you're like me and you look up here and you go, oh, I don't have a person like that right now in my life. You need them and I need them. And so we've got to take a step, sometimes a risky step, to try to find those people. Now, the flip of this is also true. You need to be this kind of friend. And so I want you to think about who are you doing this for? And some of you are like, I don't know that I could you know, encourage someone else's faith because my faith isn't strong enough. That's not true. If you have any faith, it's strong enough to speak faith into someone else's life. Speak faith into their life. Like, don't, don't buy the lie that you can't provide. You can, do, you can do these things for others. So who are you doing that for? And here's why I asked that question. And here's one of the big questions um, for the series is, what if God wanted to use your friendship to change the course of someone else's life. Like if you saw the whole picture of one of your friend's life and you knew 
that if you enter in in this moment that it would change for the better the entire course of this person's life, how many of you would step back and say, no thanks? No, nobody would do that. But here's what I want you to know, is that God does want to use your friendship to change the entire course of someone else's life for the better. He wants to use you in that way. And that's powerful. I mean, Mordecai, we don't know a ton about Mordecai, but we know he encouraged Esther, and Esther did something that changed the entire course for the Jewish people in that day and age. We don't know a lot about, I mean, we know a little bit about Aaron and her, and like, they changed the course for the Israelites that were in battle that day. They were so thankful that they held up the arms of Moses when, and so be the friend, back to this. You're like, I think we started with this. Are you coming back to it again? Be the kind of friend you wish you had. And the greatest example of that, which takes us to the moment of communion, the greatest example of that is Jesus. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it's just so interesting to me that he said to his disciples, I'm not going to call you servants or slaves. I'm actually going to call you friends. Isn't that crazy? Jesus the Son of God, whose entire mission was to step down and bring God's love and life to us, to be with us, to give up his life so that we might find life. He, he, he said, I'm not going to call you servants. I'm actually going to call you friends. And just as I've loved you, you are to love one another.